Consistency is probably one of the most important aspects when it comes to pretty much going after anything. Whatever that goal may be, let's say you want to be the best baseball player and you're a pitcher. You have to consistently get out there those days that you need to train and do it. So the same thing with the gym. You know, if you're wanting to increase your bench, you're not going to increase your bench if you're training off and on. You got to consistently go in there, push reps, maximize that time. Because I think one thing people do is they think they have to be in the gym three to four hours a day in order to get the physique that we have. And that's not necessarily true. You know, if you are in there consistently with the right intensity, mind focus, you can ha- you can basically accomplish anything. You know, nothing's impossible, but with consistency as your backpack. That's Tori Washington. And this is The Proof Podcast. Howdy, plant friends. We are back together and I am absolutely pumped to share this week's episode of the Plant Proof Podcast. Each week, I get new guests on the show to share their story and knowledge so that together, you and I can become more conscious, inspired, and mindful. Ultimately, these are conversations that I would have even without the show. So the aim is to bring you into them, you sitting next to me across from the guest. Okay, so today's guest is vegan pro bodybuilder, Tori Washington. This will no doubt be the first of many times that Tori is on the show, so it is more of an overview of who he is, where he comes from, and what his message is. Enough from me, time to hear from Tori Washington. One of the best ways to track our health is to regularly get blood work done so we can take a peek under the hood and get a feel for the state of our cardiometabolic and hormonal health. You can do this with your local doctor or you can use a service like Inside Tracker. The nice thing about Inside Tracker is they make the process super convenient. You can organize their phlebotomist, a person who draws blood, to come to your house or office to do the blood draw. A few days later, your results show up in the Inside Tracker app, and they provide lifestyle recommendations based on whether a particular test is suboptimal, normal, or optimal. I've checked Inside Tracker's lifestyle recommendations, specifically the exercise and nutrition ones, and I can confidently say they are evidence-based and in line with the information shared in both my book and on this show. They even added ApoB to their ultimate plan, based on recommendation from myself and others. It's also nice to have all of your lab results readily accessible in one mobile app, making it easy to pull up past results and see trends and patterns over time. Get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. To get started, go to insidetracker.com forward slash Simon for this exclusive offer. That's insidetracker.com forward slash Simon. If you're a long-time listener of this show, you'll be well aware of the scientific evidence that supports a high-fiber, plant-rich diet for good long-term health. And while I certainly believe in a food-first approach, 
there is a role for supplements to help optimize the intake of specific nutrients and address any nutritional gaps. Enter Emil. Emil is a plant-based wellness company with a series of products to help you optimize your plant-based diet. Two of my favorite products being the Essential 8 Multivitamin and the Optimal Omega Plus. The Essential 8 contains eight key nutrients that plant-based eaters often fall short in. And the Optimal Omega Plus contains a direct source of DHA and EPA omega-3s, same as in fish, but from algae. In fact, taking Optimal Omega Plus daily, which contains 750 milligrams of EPA and DHA, is equivalent to eating two to three pieces of fatty fish per week, in line with the nutrition recommendations globally. To get your Essential 8 and Optimal Omega Plus, head to theproof.com forward slash friends and follow the link which will get you an extra 10% off your first order. That's theproof.com forward slash friends. Tori Washington, welcome to the Plant Proof Podcast. Man, it's a long time coming. I am honored. Good day, mates. Cheers <laughs> to be here. How, how long have you been in, in Australia for now? I got to Australia Monday this week. So I've been here, what, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, about, what, good five days? You've, you've immersed yourself straight away right into it. You told me, you were just telling me about a story walking here. We're, we're in Byron Bay at the moment and, and walking to where we're recording. What did, what did you just see? So, <laughs> you know, I wanted to, when I came to Australia, I wanted to be able to see, you know, the, the wildlife, you know, the birds, the koala, kangaroo, which I heard, I didn't realize that they were also called wallabies. And, you know, just to be able to see everything, to see the snakes, the the uh, huntsmen, spiders. Have you seen a huntsman? I still haven't seen one yet. <laughs> but interestingly enough, as I'm walking here, so I'm a little lost, I was walking and there was a lady driving the little buggy and she, I guess, startled something in the bush and it, but it was heavier. It was like, Dush. and I said, oh my gosh, what was that? She was like, oh, probably a bush turkey. <laughs> I said, I don't know. That was a bush turkey. So I walked back to my place to kind of get my bearings again to where I needed to go. And as I'm walking down, I look over because I hear the, the rustling of the brush again. And I see this little wallaby looking at me, chewing like. There you go. I didn't have my camera for his frontal. So when I pulled it out, about to move it to video, he jumps away. So I caught him like his back as he's moving his head and I filmed as much as I could. But you don't understand, that made my day because I leave soon. And so now that I know that it's either dusk or dawn, they'll be seen. I'm going to do my best to kind of get up early and go near the beach and see yeah, if I can catch some morning. of them. Yeah. <laughs> it was so good, dude. It was like surreal especially with the day that I had today, because that day I had today was just as surreal. So it was just like an icing. And now I'm going to kind of just continue it on. And now this podcast is going to be released after after the yeah, the, the project that's that we've been working on. Yeah. So we can we can talk about, you know, what loosely what we've been doing up here. You know, t- tell me tell me why you're here and, and you just mentioned then you've had such an epic day. What, what have you been up to? So I... Got a interesting message, and it was basically telling me from an interesting person 
that, you know, I would love to work with you in, in a fitness realm. And when I saw the message, you know, first of all, when I read the, the message and I saw the name on it, I didn't quite understand, get it. Like, okay, maybe this is a scam and not real. Mm, maybe but it's I, a fake profile. Yeah, fake profile. So I went to the profile and I saw, I was like, damn, it can't be. <laughs> you know, that this is, this might be legit. So I responded back to the person like about six hours later. And so that person then responded back to me three hours later and said, is there an email to contact you? I said, yes, of course. And I gave them the email three hours later because of the time difference, we were kind of off. Next thing I know, my manager calls me and says, we've been contacted by this person's management team and this is legit. We're about to get you to Australia. And so here you are. You don't realize how much I've always wanted to go to Australia. And I thought I would be in Australia on, you know, something like a veg fest or something vegan related. And to be here for the purpose that I'm here and to meet you at the same time, we're, we're on the same project, you know, versus... It's crazy, isn't it? Dude. And, and we've been talking about doing this correct. podcast. And we we said let's let's not do it on Skype. Let's wait. Let's wait till you come to California and I'm yeah. in California, or you're in Miami and I'm in Miami. And here we are. And here we are, your hometown, someplace I've always wanted to go. So when you just kind of follow your path and follow your journey, it's like and you speak it into existence, it manifests, and it manifests in the timing that's right for you. You know, so I'm so like filled with joy that, you know, I'm able to see things come to fruition as it takes time. Because, you know, a lot of times we want things to happen boom, 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 so fast. So I'm here now, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like a dream, but it's, it's real. Tell me, you, you've wanted to come to Australia for a while and you've probably seen Australia in movies and thought about it in your head, what it might look like, what the people might be like. Since you've been here, is it similar to what you had envisaged or is it different? So I guess when you think of Australia, you know, most of what you see is Sydney. And then you see the old, um, you think of dried, arid land and kangaroos. And I didn't think of it's going to be so lush with greenery, so much wildlife. That's just, it's, it's almost feels like I'm in a, in a movie set where everything's just perfect. You know, the, the weather, the mm. people, you know, it's almost as if I can walk around and no one misses a beat. It's not like I'm, I'm, I stand out, I'm odd. It's just everybody's going about their day. How's it going for you? You know, cheers, chidae mate, you know. You're getting there with you know, the lingo. The, learning about different things within Australia. It's, it's such a great experience. I'm fascinated by the, fascinated even more to learn more about Australia because, you know, I was just, knew about Australia just from certain actors like Hugh Jackman or Chris Hemsworth or, you know, all those other people that I've heard about, but I have yet to actually see it for myself. And now to see it, even though I'm only in Byron Bay, I know that eventually I'll get to Sydney and I'll get to Melbourne and I'll get to all those other areas, which I thought were closer. I didn't realize. We spoke about that. Oh my gosh. I didn't realize how Australia is so vast. Yeah. So big. I mean, land-wise, it's not, not as big as United States, but it's, it's, it's nearly as big. 
in terms of land if you put Australia over the United States, North America right, on right, a map. Right, right. It's it's yeah, it's crazy how big it is and and a large part of the population is all around the coast. There's, there's a lot of land <laughs> in the middle that's just wildlife. And, you know, I think island. I think of Australia like an island, and it is. But, I th- you know, I'm from Jamaica, so I'm, Jamaica's small. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't, I was relating it to Jamaica as far as landmass. And then I get here and, you, and they tell me, yeah, you're in Byron and Sydney, Australia is like 10 hours drive. I was like, what? I thought it was like across the board. I can just get there to uh, maybe 45 minutes. I didn't realize it was so far apart. And you've had, you've been to a couple of nice places to eat. We had dinner at, at Elixir Bar. Elixir Bar. Shout out to, it was Danielle and Danielle and Miriam. I met and Jessica. And Jessica. There so you shout go. out to you guys. Thank you for, for having us in there. Elixir is damn good. And those, yes, those, um, those chips. Hey, we, got a, we have a bush turkey out oh. the window right now. He's, he's come up to say hello. Nice. <laughs> but yeah, the the, um, the chips there were great. We're we're going to check out, what's the other place we're going to check no out? Bones. No Bones. tonight. So I'm looking forward to that. Me too, man. Me too. After a day like today, I, I didn't really get to eat much. I actually had a smoothie and I had um, a little vegan bounty, a little chocolate. There we go. Now, for those who know Tori, and, and a lot of the listeners will, will know that have already seen you, You've been in the plant-based and the bodybuilding world for a long time. You're absolutely chiseled to the bone. You've got muscle hanging off you. <laughs> and you look like you're about 30, but you're – how old are you now? <laughs> I'm 102 years old. 102. So Benjamin Button over here. <laughs> um, but you've, you were vegetarian all your life and then vegan. And I want to I wanna go through your story, story and sort of learn how you've got to where you are today. Right. You mentioned that you're from Jamaica. Is that where you were born? So I like to, you know who Malcolm X is, right? Yeah. Malcolm X talked about, he had a, a philosophy where if a cat birthed kittens, birthed its babies, getting over get a birth this babies at an oven you're not going to call them biscuits you're going to call them kittens so the place of birth for those kittens doesn't change because of the fact that they're in a different location so what i'm saying is i was born in alabama but i trace my culture and my personality or my being to jamaica because my mom was jamaican most of my family is jamaican and when i, I was born in alabama and I lived there for about approximately about seven years because prior to, after I was born in Alabama, my mom then went back to Jamaica and that's when my brother was born. And so and he's two years younger than me. So we then came back to the States, lived in Alabama for a while. And then around the age of eight, almost nine years old, my mother sent us to Jamaica to live with her parents. And during that time, we lived with her parents because my mother was looking to better her opportunity for us by seeing if she didn't have to look for us, look after us for a certain amount of time, she could work more sure, and make money in order to provide for us oh, better yeah. because she was a single mother. You know, my father left us when I was like five years old. So living in Jamaica for two to three years, I went to school there, pretty much picked up the culture, learned a lot about who I, my family was. And that timing, I wasn't vegetarian or vegan. I was only vegetarian when I was born up to the time we moved to Jamaica. The reason why 
is my my mother was raised Seventh-day Adventist. Well, she wasn't raised Seventh-day Adventist. She was Catholic, and then she fell out of the Catholicism and into Seventh-day Adventist. And as Seventh-day Adventists, they have a message of the health message, and their health message is that we should eat or get our nutrition from the land, basically based on, loosely based on the Garden of Eden out of the Bible. Yeah. And so being young, didn't know anything. We just followed what my mother gave us. And so we took that on and then into Jamaica. My grandparents were like, I don't know what that is. They're going to eat what we give them since they're living with us. And my mother, only request was, okay, don't give them any pork. And so she, they made sure not to give us pig. So I never had pig in my life. And during that time, we ate pretty much everything that they gave us, whether it was jerk chicken, beef, curry goats, and fish. Can you remember at the time, was that sort of at the start a bit unfamiliar for you? Oh, yeah. See, I don't, I don't even recall if I had any issues, but I do remember times where we wanted to, you know, being young, we wanted to watch a lot of TV and we would rush to eat just so we can watch television. I remember one, one time loosely where I ate so much rice very fast and I ended up throwing it up later. And I didn't like that experience of throwing up that Simon, since then, I have never thrown up. Wow. Ever. No matter what. That was when you were, what, eight or nine? Yeah. (laughs) It was so traumatic for me that I said, I don't want to do this again. So I made sure that nothing I did would cause that to happen again. And when we moved back to the States, we were still continuing on in that lifestyle as far as the eating. I was already used to it for being there for two, three years. So it became normal. Yeah. And so- I wasn't training or working out really. It was just, I was young. And then I think around the later on in my life in high school, I tended to move on into the training part of just working out a little bit. And I still was not vegan or vegetarian, you know, but I, I made that shift later on because it's just something I wanted to do based on another lifestyle that I fell into. Okay. So, so take us through when you came back from Jamaica, was it back to Alabama or was it to Miami? So I, when I left Jamaica, my mother then transitioned to South Florida. So when we came back, we lived in Sunrise, South Florida, with, which is kind of like a suburb of Fort Lauderdale. And during that time, we went to high school. And that whole transition was kind of rough because we had Jamaican accents at that time. And so back then, just as it is now in the States, the States are a little bit rough. You see the, there's a lot of racial tension especially with the new presidency and things of that nature, people feel as though their hidden thoughts on things, they could just let it know, which is fine because, you know, freedom of speech, you should be able to say what you want, but it's also causing people to act. And so, but back then I was treated as a person who came from the islands, like, oh, you're come off the banana boat. You need to go back. What's wrong with you? What, what, what sort of year was this around? It was about, Late, early, late, late eighties, yeah. early nineties. So before going to Jamaica, when you picked up the Jamaican accent, did you have like a southern, yeah, a southern accent? So I was actually <laughs> picked on for that in Jamaica, because you know we came and I was a lot lighter, as far as you know, I'm, I'm so my skin tone is very is fair compared to like someone who's more dark in Jamaica. You have a lot more people who have a darker skin complexion, and so I was called like red mongoose. You know, called names, kind of picked on. And plus that I had this twang, they call it, the different accent. So then going from picked on there to being picked on again in the U.S., it almost pushed me to a point where I said, you know what, maybe I should be a different color. 
because then I would be treated better. And so I was kind of led, me and my brother actually went more into wanting to be Caucasian because we felt like, man, they get everything. They're not treated well, treated bad. They get all the girls, you know? So, and we saw TV, we were wanted to imitate what they were doing. And so we started to actually kind of see if we could straighten our hair. Yeah, wow. To make it long and straight. Yeah, it was sort of an identity crisis. Yeah, I was going to say, you kind of were trying to work out what your identity was. And you've been jumping around so many different places, right. like Alabama to Jamaica. That's a that's a big, big difference, right, culturally? Heck yeah. So coming back to this, the southern part of Miami, and what was what was life like growing up through there, through sort of later? Were you still there as a in your early twenties? So I came back. You know, I was in went to middle school because for some odd reason, coming from Jamaica, they decided to put us back a grade, saying that you didn't because you missed out on all that. They decided to put us back, which honestly we learned more because Jamaica had more of a British type of schooling, and their schooling is more advanced. Because you would go to kind of a college type of environment, whereas in the U.S. it's high school. So it moves us back. We did middle school, and then we did high school. And all this time, we were still part of the Seventh-day Adventist lifestyle. And so I went to like a private Christian school, Seventh-day Adventist school. And we did that for a little while. And then um, and were, were most of the students there vegetarians, or was there a large, large portion, or were, were, were people sort of eating whatever? Eating whatever. It was more so... Uh, so that's why it was, you know, very interesting to me because they teach this lifestyle, but and it turned out to people well, as long as you pray over it, it's fine. And that to me, I always question things. You know, I I questioned that whole religious background from day one. I remember from being age five, I said, "But this doesn't make sense." You know, a lot of the stories and the scriptures that were contradictory to me. So it's not until I went to high school I started to play sports a little bit. I was really into heavy metal. I was into like, you know, all the heavy metal groups. I was into the heavy, heavy metal. But that was also identity crisis where I wanted, I hung out with those kids with the long hair and, you know, they were considered the outcasts where they turned out to be, they were actually smart, but they just did their own thing. They kind of hung out together. And we all, I played electric guitar for a little bit, wanted to start a band. I remember I went to high school with Marilyn Manson at the time. Wow. Yeah. So this is all in South Florida. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Piper High School. And so. If you've tuned in to the many episodes I've done focusing on cardiovascular disease, the leading cause of death globally, you'll be well aware that ApoB is a better biomarker for measuring our risk of having a heart attack or stroke than LDL cholesterol. The only problem is that not every pathology lab is set up to test ApoB levels. Fortunately, this has now been made easier by Inside Tracker, a leading health and wellness company founded in 2009 by experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data from Harvard, MIT, and Tufts that provides lifestyle advice based on your blood test results. With the new edition of ApoB, Inside Tracker's ultimate plan now analyzes 44 biomarkers, including metabolic health markers like HbA1c, triglycerides, and blood glucose, important nutrients like vitamin D and iron, as well as hormones like cortisol, sex hormone binding globulin, free testosterone, and total testosterone, before giving you science-backed lifestyle advice to optimize your health and longevity. Your data tells the story of your health. 
With Inside Tracker, get to know your story and create a lifestyle that delivers better health for longer. Get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. To get started and redeem this offer, go to insidetracker.com forward slash Simon. That's insidetracker.com forward slash Simon. Hey friends, the scientific evidence on lifestyle habits that lead to longevity is clear. Now it's time to put this knowledge into action. I'm excited to announce the Living Proof Longevity Challenge, a 12-week program to build evidence-based lifestyle habits to optimize longevity. My team and I have transformed over hundreds of hours of conversations with experts on aging, nutrition, and exercise into a life-changing 12-week program that will challenge you to develop habits that lead to a longer, better life. This is a unique opportunity to gather health data about yourself that has the potential to change your life for the better. You'll start by testing 10 longevity biomarkers that tell the truth about where your longevity stands right now, today. Following that, you'll get a personalized longevity score to guide your 12 weeks of habit building that will boost your score and improve your biomarkers for the better. After the challenge, you'll retest your 10 biomarkers and see the proof of how powerful these science-backed habits really are. Head over to theproof.com forward slash livingproof to download your zero-cost copy of the Living Proof Longevity Challenge today. That's theproof.com forward slash livingproof. Look forward to joining you on this journey. I ended up finishing high school, but when around my senior, junior, senior year, I started to grow my locks. And it was really just to be a style, fashion. And it's not until we started reading more, me and my friends, that we said, you know what? Let's look into the Rastafari way of life. And that took us into Aital. Aital is the way that Rastas eat, whereas all straight from the land, using no utensils, using no salt and sugar. It's more just seasoned with herbs and eating food like they call food, like dumplings, starch foods, like yam, squash, you know, things like that, that they can get from growing. But some Rastas still were eating fish and chicken here and there. And to me, I was then identify with, I'm going to call myself Rasta, but I'm not really Aital, you know, because there's a lot of us that don't. So again, I'm back to the Seventh-day Adventists. They were, Seventh-day Adventists had this health message, but 80% of them weren't really following what they strictly following right yeah it's like they'll follow certain things but not everything can you can you define rasta for the listeners who may not have heard it before rasta is okay so the breakdown of the word rastafari ras stands for king or head tafari is actually the name of a king in ethiopia tafari makanen tafari makanen rose to king status from his family royal lineage of the 12 tribes of judah and Ras was put on top of him to crown him the coronation as a king. And so Rastas took this message based on loosely on the information from Marcus Garvey. Marcus Garvey spoke of a king rising in the East to go against the French colonization of the different African continents, and he would fight them. And he fought them. And so when Rastas Jamaicans saw this, they said that that's who Marcus Garvey was referring to. And so his name, Rastafari, became synonymous with, okay, we're going to follow this guy. And he is the second coming of 
Christ. So the Narasas kind of took parts of the Christianity, the biblical message, and decided to place them upon this king in Ethiopia. So, and, and in Jamaica, what sort of, I guess, percentage of the population would be following that lifestyle? It was very small. Very small. Um, actually, to be honest with you, a lot of Rastas were considered dangerous. And in certain countries, they were shot just because of their locks. And the locks actually personified a rebellious warrior because out of the Mau Mau tribe in Africa, they put mud and they locked their hair and they fought against British and different people wanting to colonize. So they took that plus following Rastafari and put it together and created Rasta, the Rasta lifestyle. And all of that combined to create where they started. The marijuana came in only because of a spiritual background and people decided to take that and turn it into recreational and let's just get high. That's not what the Rastas was about. It was more about spirituality, beating drums, and modern music, one. right? Right. Communing with, communing with nature, not just getting high and then, you know, just say, yeah, man, I'm about to get some weed and go eat some cookies. No, it wasn't like that. But I think it's been so perverted that now the message has been lost and people now are placing it as, oh, man, it's so good for you. Just that or whatever. Yeah. Just to, it's, it's almost as if they are creating something because they just want to be able to do something on their own versus the true message behind it. You know, because Russell looked at it as healing of the nations. This herb was a healing, not just to be smoked to get high, but used to heal your body, you know, with teas, medicinal, things like that. Yeah, and I can I, I know from, from, you know, watching you on, on social media, it's, it's evident that you're very proud to, to, to be a Rasta, right, to live that, that lifestyle. Is that something you think about? Is that, you know, spreading that message so that people understand what that true lifestyle actually is? Yeah, every now and then, you know, because, but I do know that, as I said before, I question a lot. You know, even when the, within the Rastafarian lifestyle, some would turn it into a religion. And only because as a religion, it's more acceptable. You know, you have probably 300 religions within this world or more. And that's the only way you can be accepted because then if you say, all right, I'm doing marijuana for religious practices, no, okay. You know, so it's it's almost like you create a scapegoat just to be accepted. So but most Rastas look at it as a lifestyle. You know, it's just a lifestyle I live. It's not necessarily a religious practice. Because within that, I didn't really find that concept of worshiping this man as a God. Because to me, that's, that's basically taking the same practice as any other religious practice, just because you consider this person to be godlike and forgetting how you yourself are the driver of your journey, your lifestyle, not necessarily to seek out this person. And that person was actually telling you, don't look to me as God, I am just a man. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that aspect of it, I didn't identify with. But I did identify with what the one love, the oneness, the unity mm. that they wanted to create and the peace practice that they wanted to create. And so you just mentioned before that they, you know, some of them were still eating sort of animal still, products. Still do. Uh, yeah, still do. When you were discovering this lifestyle, did you jump straight into a, a vegan diet, like straight away? Yeah, so or was it a transition? Well, the transition. But the transition wasn't necessarily a transition. When I said, all right, I'm going to cut it out, I just cut it out. And that was it. 
Because if you think about it, I was already started off as a vegetarian. So those six to 10 years of doing that without it was like, eh, let me just cut that out. Something for me, when I want to just do something, I just do it. I just cut off, stop and move on. So I just cut out. I remember the last thing I had in 1998, I had a, a girlfriend at the time made me a salmon. Oh, so 1998 was when you did this. Wow. 20 years. Yeah. The last meal was a salmon. Yeah, I remember it. I remember it vividly. And I worked out then. You know, I was just like in an avid gym goer. Yeah, that was my next question. So were you, at the time where you were, you, you knew, okay, I'm going to cut all animal products out and you're working out, what did you think about how it would affect your physique and your recovery and your strength in the gym? And did you have any sort of, I guess, preconceived ideas about veganism before you jumped in? See, the the honest thing about it, Simon, is that I didn't know what vegan was. I had, you know, of course, I was reading all the muscle magazines, you know, looking at videos, watching Arnold Schwarzenegger, all of that as far as the superheroes. I wanted to be a superhero. I think because of my lifestyle of being picked on, I was looking for an outlet. And superheroes was an outlet because if you could be a superhero, no one can mess with you. So Wolverine, Superman was like, hmm, okay, how do I become like that? And I learned about Arnold Schwarzenegger. I started watching all of his movies, seeing him on Pumping Iron and seeing him compete and things like that, looking at old footage. And I decided to start working out just to kind of, to build that body. And I remember in high school, I wanted to compete because, you know, it was a certain, you know, I was thinking, hmm. Started working out with this other guy. He ended up competing. He dropped out of high school and started competing. I didn't. I kept going, did college. And once I got into college, it kind of disappeared as far as the competing part because I went to school for engineering. So that was taking up a lot of my time. I still train. And I worked out whenever I could. And then, I because I started school, college in 93. And then 98, I went went plant-based because I didn't know what vegan was. I cut out anything. So that there wasn't a strict label. It was, it was I didn't know. I'm just going to stop eating animal products. Correct. Yeah. And so, because I, I was like, all right, really into spirituality and understanding my purpose. And being that I was like, being an Italian Rasta, I was like, yeah, most of these guys aren't. So I said, let me, let me truly go all the way. And to this day, except for one of our bridges, I'm the only one that really went fully all the way. I still talk to those guys and they still eat meat here and there. They'll see me like, man, but one of them made the switch later on. So when I did that, I don't know. I just, I had no preconceived notions notions about, okay, I'm going to lose muscle. I didn't even think about that. Simon, that was never on my mind. I remember... After doing that for a while in 2009, after working out and still just training, working as an engineer, I had a friend of mine from high school. Well, my high school time, he didn't go to my high school. He told me, hey, one of our other friends has been competing in bodybuilding. He's been doing you know, pretty good. He actually lives in Atlanta. He's going to compete. I was like, what? Because at the time I was living in Alabama. So I left Florida. So you see how full circle... I left Florida, went to college in Alabama. So I'm back to Alabama again. And I ended up living there because I got a job with an engineering company. I was a Japanese engineering company. And during that time, I ended up transferring to another Japanese engineering company after four years. And I worked at Honda. That was the second one. And I stayed at Honda for a good 10 years as an engineer. 
during that time again, 2009, I went to a sh- one of my friend's competitions. 2008, the one the guy from Atlanta, the guy from Atlanta. So I drove to Atlanta. It was an hour and a half. I saw him on stage. He won. He came off stage, and I said, "Whoa, his physique looks superhero like," and that inspired me to say, "You know what? I need to do this competition thing. <laughs> I need because you know I had the bug when I was younger. I said, let me do it." So I asked him about it. And he's like, but you're vegan, man. I don't know. I was like, so? I don't, that, that matters. I'm just thinking you just need to train. Teach me how to train for this, how to pose. We can do it. And to this day, if it wasn't for him helping me, he got to actually start me off where I took it to the next level. Because he ended up not, it took him forever to win a show. I won my show and my second show. Wow. Where was that? In Atlanta. In Atlanta. So I would drive an hour and a half almost every weekend, Simon, to get with him for posing. He would tell me stuff I need to eat. Like, hey, what are you eating? I tell him I'm eating deli slices, you know, because I, I was in college. Hmm. I'm eating burritos. You're eating whatever, as long yeah. as it was vegan. As long as it was vegan, I was eating it. And he was like, dude, how are you eating that stuff, but you're still staying pretty lean? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know, you know, and I wasn't doing cardio. I wasn't doing any cardio. I was just training. So he had me start doing all this cardio and I thought I looked great. Got on stage, got third place in 2009 in April. And I was excited because there was about 10 guys and uh, nobody, I was the only one up there that was eating plants for nutrition. And and were the, were the other guys aware of that? No, because I really didn't. Talk about that. Yeah. I think I mentioned it once in my bio for my posing routine, but it was not like a big deal because I wasn't thinking of, you know, I'm going to be this famous guy, famous vegan bodybuilder. I was just wanted to compete to just do it because it was like a bucket list thing. Like, you know, I didn't want to, I said, I didn't want to end my life and saying, man, I wish I had competed because that was something I wanted to do. And so when I did that, I said, you know what? I want to do another show and see if I can get second place. And lo and behold, that second show came up. I got first place in my class. What did you change? Was it just, was it training or did you change your nutrition between the first show and second show? Or was it just consistency? I think the consistency. Because, and then I was getting better at posing. Because I remember one of the judges said to me, Simon. Because you get a lot of feedback. Yeah, I I have. I love feedback. I go down and talk to the judges because I want to know. Even if I win the show. Well, I'll tell you about that. So I came down and he was like, between the first guy, the guy that won, oh, he clearly won. He walked in. Everybody was like, <laughs> I hope he's not in my class. <laughs> and he happened to be in my class. And I was like, oh, great. <laughs> I mean, he was jacked, big. Welcome to, uh, to competing, Tori. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And he, was, he had no tan on. So, but it didn't matter. He, was, he killed everybody. And it's a there's a there's a weight limit, right? Like a class or well, not on what I did. What I did was was short, medium, and tall. Okay. So no weight limit. Okay. So he was a big boy. He was a big dude. <laughs> I mean, when I remember vividly he walked in the bathroom, everybody was like, Is he competing? <laughs> what class is he in? I was like, I think he's taller than me. <laughs> but he wasn't. So he won, but the second place guy, I was like, how did I not beat him? I have to judge. He said, when someone doesn't stand on their wheels, when I look away to look at the other guy, that's, that determines whether or not you're going to do better. 
Explain that again. Standing on their wheels. So I'm going to tell him to describe what you wheels in bodybuilding world is your legs. Your legs, yeah. And so he said, standing on my wheels, meaning flexing them, mm. keeping them flexed the entire time. I was so tired. I remember I was dropping my head and everybody was like, Tori, pick your head up. Like, okay. I was just so tired. Just standing in there, I, you know, holding those poses takes a lot of work. And when he said that, I said, okay, I got you. That won't happen again. And so I made sure to practice that and worked harder, did extra cardio. Or I think we did extra cardio. But um, I think it was just consistently training up to that point that that next show ended up winning. And it was larger. It was more guys involved. I won. And then in order to get your pro card, which I didn't know at the time, you had to go in the overall where you would go up against guys from the other divisions. Like all on stage together. All on stage together. So you had to come back out. Yeah. So it was a short, medium, and tall guy. And I was the short guy. And I remember... Go doing going through the poses, you know, they switch us around, put the person, someone in the middle, someone on the outside, moves around and see who looks the best. And I won that and got my pro card. And that set everything else in motion. That's incredible. And and we I mean we just touched on it, but how important is consistency? If you're looking for results in the gym and, and you know, there might be listeners who are new and maybe not getting the results, how oh, we're gonna go deep into training in a bit, but how important would you say consistency is? Consistency is probably one of the most important aspects when it comes to pretty much setting up, getting a going after anything, whatever that goal may be. Let's say you want to be the best baseball player and you're a pitcher. You have to consistently get out there those days that you need to train and do it. So the same thing with the gym, you know, if you're wanting to increase your bench, you're not going to increase your bench if you're training off and on. You got to consistently go in there, push reps, maximize that time. Because I think one thing people do is they think they have to be in the gym three to four hours a day in order to get the physique that we have. And that's not necessarily true. You know, if you are in there consistently with the right intensity, mind focused, you can, ha- you can basically accomplish anything. You know, nothing's impossible, but with consistency as your backpack. Talk to me about your training. What is a what is a standard week look like for you? How do you how do you like to split up your your workouts? So, being that I'm more into the science of it, I you I used to at one point just do two body parts. You know, thinking, all right, I'm gonna follow how all these enhanced guys lift. You know, when you're enhanced, what you know what enhanced means is when I'm using um, anabolic steroids or anything else to kind of give me an edge. You don't necessarily have to lift as often. Do you get asked that question? Of course, you do. Yeah, you know. So, as a natural guy, we can lift more often. Certain muscle, I mean, muscle groups, because you know we're at a position to where our bodies we don't use them that often as we think. You know, we're not putting it through that such a rigorous program. So, I my splits now are say for example, I do three body parts in one day. Now it might be chest, shoulders, and triceps. And that's not saying that I'm putting, it'll be a lot of emphasis on chest and the shoulders. Triceps maybe get two exercises. Because if you think about it throughout the entire process, my triceps are being used during chest and during shoulders in certain movements. And then my next split may be um, back, biceps, and traps, you know, where 
there's still three body parts. They're all kind of connected. And then I may have a rest day or I might go right into legs where it's, you know, glutes, hamstrings, quads. So you're doing the the push, pull, leg type split. Yeah. So, and I've been reading a lot and, you know, a lot of people are talking about just volume, getting volume in. Can you explain what, how important volume is to your training? So it's interesting, you know, there's a time where people were saying volume, too much of it, you know, we're overtraining. I don't know if you remember that. People are like, oh, yeah. you can overtrain. Overtraining is none. That only comes when you don't get the rest or recuperation that you need. You know, the muscle needs to be trained. So volume scientifically has been shown to create, to increase muscle size just as much as low volume, low frequency, like doing three to five reps, you know, with a heavier weight. The volume gives you an opportunity to really flood that muscle with blood and stretch those muscle fibers. So it's, it's sort of a hypertrophy. And it's important because with it, you're just continuously giving that muscle the volume it needs on a daily basis. And then with coupled with great nutrition and rest, I mean, you can't do nothing but continue to grow. But I think a lot of times we get so afraid of this of volume. Volume used to be considered, oh, that's when you get toned. You know, do some light reps, light, lightweight and a whole lot of reps, which it has been proven that it's not necessary. Yeah. So if, let's just dissect volume down a little bit more. Do you are you are you working out in the in the low rep range and doing a certain number of sets? Are you working out in more like the eight to twelve rep range? What do you what do you normally? So my normal, I'm pretty much all over. So there'll be some days where I'm doing six to eight reps, some days where I'm doing thirty reps, and some days where I'm doing. 10 to 20 reps, you know, and it's all based on, you know, it's kind of my program is driven around making sure I'm maximizing my, my time, but also giving myself a good amount of recovery because volume can tax you, you know, and if you don't get the right recovery, you know, you're not going to be ready for the next time. And does that normally look like having a day, one day off a week, two days off a week? One or two days. One or two days. Yeah. And you mentioned cardio before is that something that you're doing regularly or you only do at a certain time of the year or going into a competition more going to a competition because i'll be honest with you simon for the first after my first show after not first show after that first year i started to realize that i didn't need to do all this cardio you know because my body's metabolism was pretty high that as long as i trained and ate efficiently that i would drop weight and i mean literally i could drop weight like that. The only cardio I would do eventually later on, just to kind of make it a little faster, and I would do hit. I would do hit one day a week. And I mean, literally in four days, I would be super lean just from doing that hit one day and then training and eating in a deficit for the next couple of days. Yeah. Most people know what hit is, but just- Hit is um, just high intensity interval yeah. training. So it's basically like me, I would go do sprints. So I would run a sprint for hundred meters as fast as I could, walk back and do it again. And I'll probably do that five to 10, ten times. Sometimes I would do a hill. And that was, you know, that was my cardio. It was fast. I only had to do it for 15 minutes and I was done. And I could immediately feel my body starting to burn away at fat. You know, I would be, like I said, I would be shred- I can get shredded so easy, you know, to the point where people are like, man, you look like you like have paper, you're 
torn paper paper fibers, you know? That was easy for me. The the hard part, I've always been a hard gainer, regardless. Even when at that time frame when I wasn't vegan, it wasn't easy for me to just put on size because my metabolism was so fast. So as a vegan, I just had to continuously eat more. And not until up to now, I do a little bit more cardio. And that's only because I'm sure as we age, our metabolism slows down a little bit. So, And HIT can be rigorous on the body as far as recovery, especially if you're you're training very intensely. You don't need to do HIT so much because you're really putting your body under a lot of stress when you want to recover well. You know, because especially since I'm in a more of a physique world, it's not necessary for me to have to do that all the time. I can just take it easy. You know, especially when you're in a deficit, you know, you're already taxed mentally. So running at HIT, ooh, crazy. <laughs> And you, you did speak about nutrition and the role that that plays in terms of your the results you're getting in gym and recovery. Do you think a plant-based diet, do you, do you see it as a bit of a secret weapon for you in terms of your recovery and and compared to other bodybuilders that are consuming animal products? Yes, because when I fully went that way, I realized, I remember I could train more often. Sometimes I would do two to three times a day. Like I would just, I would go work out and then I would run into a friend of mine. I'm like, Tori, you want to go work out? Let's do it. You know, and I would just keep going because that was just something that I felt like my body would just rebound very quickly. And I really give that all to my way of eating, you know, because the one thing I don't usually, I don't typically say is diet. Because when I look at diet and you break down the word, I'm not ready to die yet. I'm here to thrive and live. You know what I mean? So, and then there's another thing. If you get on a diet, you can also get off a diet. But if I'm just fixed my lifestyle and I'm thriving, there's nothing to get on and get off about. Just continue on. The foods that you are consuming, is it is it mainly whole foods? Like what does your diet look like now? And when you are prepping for a competition, how sort of specific do you get with your macronutrients or are you sort of always intuitively eating? So for the first seven, eight years, so 2009 up until last year, I was intuitive. I just basically ate what I wanted to. And when I get closer, I will cut back on certain things. And I would start to eat a little bit more just tofu, greens with um, sweet potato, Japanese sweet potato, or some bonitos. I would change up my carb sources. My tofu would be sometimes tempeh, sometimes seitan, sometimes something with some field roast or what have you. I never did shakes or anything like that because I wasn't into that. Because I was intuitively, I really was just going into how my body looked, how much I'm putting in. Then, okay, do I need to change something? Okay, I cut back on this. Less donuts, less brownies or cookies or whatever, just to make sure that I'm keeping getting trimmer by the week. And so now I do it a little differently just because I've decided to change it up a little bit, see what macros is like. So I'm doing it by macros now. And are you tracking that on a specific app or? Yes, MyFitnessPal. Yeah, MyFitnessPal. Yeah, that's a good one. Let's hit some of those common questions that you would no doubt get all the time. And um, I've spoken about a number of them on the on the show before, but I'm keen to to hear what you have to say. 
where what are your main protein sources you know it's so crazy that this question still <laughs> arises i think as much as the information that's been put out there that protein isn't everything like 99.9 percent of fruits and vegetation contain protein but i think because people are looking for such an enormous amount a vast amount at one time they want to say hey give me that source where i can eat so i can only eat three four times a day instead of all this volume, right? So if we want to look at it that way, I started out when I was vegetarian and when I started out vegan, you know, just a guy who was in school, I would eat tofu on the regular because it was easy. I could throw it in a skillet, scramble it up, good to go. Beans, good to go. Ezekiel bread, that was all that was my go-to. Tempeh, seitan, any type of legume, like, you know, lentils. I loved peanut butter, almond butter. Those are my favorite things. I would eat lots of broccoli, kale, spinach, any type of greens I could get my hand on. I didn't like arugula at the time, but I'm getting a little better taste for arugula. <laughs> we call that rocket here. Oh, rocket. Rocket. Like that? That's just what it's called here. Rocket? Yeah. Like, take off. If you say place. arugula to, to, to most people here, they'll be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> we had a nice... Um, a broccoli burger last night. Oh we? my goodness! We had a barbecue down on the beach. And just well, what beach was it? Boulogne. Bel- Bel- uh, Moonstruck Bel- was the uh, the the location. The location. I think it's called Boulogne. Boulogne Beach. Yeah, 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 yeah. But we had a we had a really nice um, barbecue on the sand, and Tori and I had a <laughs> we had our own broccoli burger. Oh my gosh! <laughs> you know that was very. How can I say that was a, a fascinating experience. If that's a if that's a way to describe it, because I know as two vegans, we tend to know a lot of people who aren't. And I think one thing we can do to help the community grow is to help people realize that you don't have to be so pessimistic or even forceful to those who don't see it your way. You know, and a lot of times that's why people don't get invited to certain things because they don't feel like mm. you're going to be able to just be a human being and not be such a person who's being judgmental to what others are doing. Yeah. We need to we need people to see that vegans and non-vegans can coexist, can coexist. and and in, in harmony or else anyone who's not vegans looks at that lifestyle and is sort of you know not drawn to it, not drawn to the idea of eating more plants purely because of that you know they're worried that they're going to put themselves into a box with a label. And what are people going to think about that? You know, I just thought of something. It's like we can't look at the animal kingdom and realize that animals coexist. The wallaby is not going to tell the lion, hey, you need to eat like me. He's going to say, oh, that's a lion. Not necessarily saying that you're condoning the, the way that they are, but you have to remember where you come from and where they come from. Everybody's story is unique. Just because you happen to see that this lifestyle is where you want to be and how it can benefit and help the animals and the planet and health of others. You can't just sit there and place judgment on someone just because they haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Everyone's got their own journey. Yeah. And you just, if you lead by example, you know, we were talking about the other night and you're approachable and you're a nice person, you're more likely to spark a very positive conversation with someone that may lead to change. Yeah. And that little spark, you never know how far someone will take that. And speaking of that, last night when we had our little burger, 
broccoli burger. A lot of the guys there actually said to me, you know what? You've inspired me. I think I want to give this vegan thing a go. And I was actually surprised. Like, yeah. Wow. That was a bit of a common theme. Yeah. Because they look at us, not because, first of all, how we look, but secondly, they're like, I don't feel pressured by you. You're hanging out with me. Even though I'm eating this, you're not giving me the dirty eye. You are being an open human being. And now it causes them to be like, damn, they look really good. Maybe there's something to this. Yeah, maybe maybe I could dabble in that. Yeah. Well, we'll see how that unfolds, That's right. won't we? <laughs> okay, so you've, you've gone over sort of what you eat and where you get your protein from. What about supplements? You, do you, you said you don't use protein powder. So in the beginning stages, I didn't use any of that stuff because it was just, I didn't feel like we need to put that stuff into our bodies, you know? And then I even think about guys in prison. They come out jacked and they're pretty much eating crap, but they're not taking any supplements. They don't have protein powder. They don't have BCAs. They don't have creatine. They can get drugs in, you know, but... But they come out jacked, especially if they're in the gym. They're consistent. Consistency. Yeah. They come out jacked to high heaven. And now we have this whole world of, all right, you got to get supplements. But I want to go back to that. Simon, think about this. You know, nowadays people are saying, oh, the soil is depleted. You don't have all the nutrients. So you need to get supplements. In prison, their food, I'm sure, is ridiculously horrible. But somehow... They're getting those nutrients to build muscle. I mean, really? So I didn't do anything. This past year, I decided to hire someone to kind of look at me, kind of help me out because, you know, sometimes when you hit that next level, every good coach has a coach. And I say that because, you know, you see these high elite athletes have someone that helps them, but they can help other people. So a lot of times we get afraid to hire, to ask someone to help us because we feel like we know it all. But if you're green, you're growing. If you're ripe, you're rotten. And I feel like I can always grow and learn more. So I hired someone to help me out. And that person's way was to increase my protein intake, which is weird to me. I was like, oh boy, here we go. So in order to follow versus complain, I just followed suit. So you gave gave it a go. Was there a certain... I guess you probably work in pounds, but was there a certain amount of grams per pound, like a target that they wanted you to hit? Yeah, they gave me a, a lot. I, I went from Simon eating like 50 to 100 grams a day at the most when I would guesstimate to now it's like 175 to 200. I'm like, damn, that was a lot of protein. But I understand the whole concept behind it. Scientifically, doing those things gives you a 1% edge, if you think about it. You know, and most natural bodybuilders understand that. So they're like, I want to get that 1% edge. And, but some of us just have the beginnings of a great physique and we work at it. And so I've always had a great physique, not to toot my own horn, but the foundation, the foundation was there. And so, cause I did sprints, I ran track, you know, in high school and what have you. And I loved it, you know, to this day, I, you're a good sprinter. Oh yeah. To this day, I say anybody, Hey, you want to sprint? Sure. Let's go. You must get right into the Olympics because the Jamaicans are Dude, terribly good at the I sprinting. Mean, <laughs> I was actually training at one point to go to the Olympics. Yeah, wow. And then I ended up injuring my knee playing American football 
And that messed me up. And then weight lifting came. So now my protein's increased. So now I'm doing shakes in order to meet that requirement. And I test out so many. Like I like to just say, hmm, let me try it. Let me taste this one. 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 And nicely enough, companies are like, hey, Tori, do you want to trial our, our new protein shake? Sure. Send it to me. And I'll give it a shot. I mean, I've had some like, it was horrible. And then I have some that's pretty good. Like I've seen, I've had some clean ones that are, I love their ingredients. It doesn't seem like it's a whole bunch of fillers. Yeah. I like the ones that to some people taste like dirt. Same. But I know that it's all performance. The ingredient panel is a bit shorter. Right. There's a bit less funky things in there. And I had a really good peanut butter one the other day. Nice. Peanut butter is getting around. Yeah. Peanut butter powder. Have you had some of that? No, I haven't had. I you mean like the PB2? Yeah, PB2. Oh, yeah. So this this protein that I had, I think it was like a P, it was pea protein, but then they had, I'm pretty sure they must have put PB2 in it or <laughs> their own peanut butter powder and it was delicious. Yeah, man. See, the peanut butter is great, you know, to add. You know, I would usually put that in with, like me and my college roommate used to make just shakes and we would put peanut butter and bananas and some other stuff in it and just be good to go. So that's your protein intake, and you sort of alluded to the fact that's probably that you know top one percent of people who are performing and looking to jump up on stage, or maybe they're an elite athlete. What about you're you're training a lot of people? Are all the people that you train are they are they competing, or are you training sort of some people who are just recreation into recreational fitness and you know everyday people? Yeah, so I do work with people who are competitors. You know, I have a lot of competitors actually because, you know, they see how I like to coach with a mindset of, I like to work with the mind. You know, I want you to be mentally strong and I like to, for people to think of themselves as a professional and you're not going in as an amateur. You may do an amateur division, but you're going to come out, you're going to come out of coaching with me as a professional. And I also work with people who just want to be physically fit. They want to look like a superhero, but not get on stage. You know, so it, it's something I, I'm very good at sculpting and taking your physique, disassembling it and redesigning it to the way you want it to be. And if you look at, I asked you this question the other night, but if you look at the folks that you're training who get the best results versus the ones who may not get the best results and don't go as far as you don't see their potential that you can see, what's the, what's the main difference? Consistency. Sticking with me and listening to what I do, listening to what I tell them. Because I've had a client, she did the other day, she actually competed in a competition. Simon, she looked phenomenal. And it's, you always, to a certain degree, when you're working with any individual, it's always a trial and error. Because you're looking at their physique and you're determining, okay, we're going to go with this to see how your body responds. And it's, that's why every person is unique because you can't say, hey, this person was on 200 grams of carbs. Let me give it to this person. Now you have to like look at how their, their body metabolizes energy and what their day is like on a regular basis, like how much energy expenditure they do and how much rest they get, you know, how their age, their height. There's a lot of things that variables that come into play when you're determining what to do in order to get this person to look a certain way. I remember she said to me, I, Tori, I followed everything you told me to do to the last jelly bean. 
And when she got on that stage, Simon, I was proud. She looked so, she looked amazing. And when they gave her second place, we all were confused. We were like, did we miss something? And it just finds out that the person who won kind of knew someone else. And, you know, it's just, but it was- Is there a lot of politics in- in Yes, politics and pretty much everything. Yeah. But they ended up handing her a pro card regardless. Okay. They couldn't take away from the fact that she was amazing. And so- She would have been stoked. She was so happy. But it would have been even happier for her to get it on stage. You know, they gave it to her at a later time. Because they went back and checked the results and they were like, you know, she, it was very close. So we want to give her one, you know, and that, it just makes you feel good because to her, she said, it was the best prep she's ever had. And that makes you feel good because prep can be horrendous. How long was the prep, her prep? I would say more than 36 weeks. Yeah. Wow. The big lead up. Yeah. Because you want to maximize as much muscle as possible to keep because as you go into a deficit, you can lose muscle. You will have some muscle loss because your body is going to lose fat. You're going to lose water. You're going to lose muscle a little bit because it's just the way it is. You know, especially when you're going into a deficit, your body's going to look for means to grab energy. And of course, it's, you're hoping that it goes for your fat deposit, but at times it goes for the muscle, goes for carbohydrate. Of course, carbohydrate is the first place that your body looks for energy. What are your tips, I guess? So, so you're sort of suggesting if you taper off slowly and go into that deficit slowly, give yourself a bit more time, your chances are you burn less muscle in a deficit. Mm-hmm. Is there, are there any other tips for maximizing muscle while you're in a deficit? They say to increase your protein. Okay. Because, you know, uh, if you think about it, increasing your protein is also a caloric increase, you know? So, and it's a slower digestion. But it also causes you to need to, from my, in my opinion, this is not scientific based. I think this is why you tend to do more low intensity cardio because protein burns slower. So you have to do that in order to kind of keep at bay the, the fat gain. Because let's say if you don't really get all of that use out of that protein, because you have some loss, just like mechanical vehicle, when in the gears, you have loss of power through the gears. So that loss of nutrition comes from just the whole digestion, the whole process that your body goes through and then get that. So you're not going to get every nutrient out of it. You know, you're going to have that waste. And so that's where the cardio comes in. That's why it's definitely a tool, not a necessity. You kind of use it towards the end. You kind of increase it just to kind of give your body a break from all the intake. Your clients that you're training, are, are any of them vegan? Uh, yes. Have some of them changed to a plant-based diet having been under you? And from a nutrition point of view, do you encourage them to be tracking their macros as well? Yes. So I only encourage people to track their macros because some people don't know. It's like, as humans, we tend to complicate things. Like if it's different than as you normally do, you automatically get scared of it. You know, you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know how to intuitively eat. Because sometimes... Giving people that open-ended, they don't know how to regulate themselves. So some people need, all right, here's your numbers that you need to follow. Now, so I'm going to give you macros that way to keep you regulated. Some people want that. They need that structure because we've been given, we've been put into a lifestyle where we have to always have structure, you know, from school. Schooling is always structure, structure, structure. And then you get out into the real world, structure. 
unless you're that person that has that creative mindset that I want to go about it my own way. And I know that I've always had an entrepreneurial mindset. So intuitive was good for me because I'm like, all right, I don't have to eat as much donuts. You feel your way through it. Yeah. So, but I start my own. Most of my clients are macro driven. And then as far as vegan, ironically enough, I'm never, you know, it's funny when they come to me, they come to me based on the results that I've had. People would tell them about me. And I was like, he's probably gonna make you a vegan. That's a, that's a automatically what they say because they know I'm vegan if they aren't already. So they're they're thinking that I'm gonna be like, hey man, you need to go vegan. Are they a little shy when they when you when they first turn up and you're like, okay, let's go through your nutrition? And yeah, sort of put like, their hand up and they're like, yeah, about that. <laughs> <laughs> they are, and then I you know I said to them, hey, listen, you know, I'm not gonna tell you to go vegan, no. but since I'm doing it macro driven, you know, it's wherever you want to get your nutrients. Because I, I realized that it's all about nutrition, nutrients, not nutrition as far as just people say, oh, healthy this and healthy that. It's about the nutrients. Of course, if you want to have a more dense nutrients, like if you're not going to just eat chips the whole time, but chips can be part of it because they still have some value. And it also helps keep you a little sane if chips are your thing. You know, if you're just well, it needs to be chips, sustainable, right? Correct. Because you can't get consistency if it's not sustainable. If it's not sustainable, you're going to jump off that so quick when you get that first opportunity and fall hard. But if you can sustain that, imagine how you can continue on the rest of your life. You know, you already know that, okay, let me just cut back a little bit here. I'll be right back where I was. You know, you can come to Australia and enjoy the good food and then know that once you get back to the States, eh, right back on it. Because exactly. I'm on prep, Simon. <laughs> but um, I got to Australia, I said, yeah. Yeah. That's gonna be about that. We're gonna we're gonna partake in some of the good. Stuff I think there's today. gonna be some dessert tonight. Oh heck! <laughs> <laughs> After all that training today, boy, I need it. <laughs> but yeah, so a lot of clients tend to make that shift to vegan as to after working with me because they look at me and they're like, you know what? I mean, you look great, and I figured if you can do it, I can mm. do it. So can you help me teach me how to um, go about it? And I'm like, yeah, you know, are they are they do you find that sort of in the last few years, people are more open oh, to yeah. it because of how much attention there is in the media and online versus like six, seven, eight years ago? Exactly. It would have been a bit more foreign, right? For oh, heck yeah. And, you know, I remember when I, What the Health came out, I lit a fire under a lot of people. That documentary like started it all. And then the documentary I'm involved in called From the Ground Up, that also, you know, I was showing people that and they were, I had people watch that documentary and say, man, you know, for the first time, I feel like I can do this vegan thing. It wasn't pushy. I didn't feel like it was scaring me. I liked the whole aspect of how they went about presenting and delivering their message. You know, and it kind of made people think, rethink about their ideas of what vegan is about. You know, because a lot of times the ideas of vegan is these angry people who hug trees all day and <laughs> then they go around and all they do is kiss animals and don't talk to humans, you know? So our goal, my goal, one of my goals is to change that perception as well as make vegan not a card-carrying type of mm. thing, but just the way it is. Just the way it is, which is, it's so much more approachable. There shouldn't be a superiority type of thing attached to it, which is, you know, unfortunately what happens sometimes. 
and I, I can understand from being on the other side of the fence before, I can sort of understand how that catches people and, you know, puts them on the back foot. We spoke about supplements before, but what about like B12 So anything else? Do you take any other supplements? You know, B12 has become the new Achilles heel for vegan. I say that because remember, at one point, protein was adamant. You can't get complete protein as a vegan. How are you going to do that? There's no way. I say that because I remember there was a British trainer that would always say, Tori, how do you get complete protein from vegan? I'm like, what are you talking about, man? That's <laughs> such an old, archaic way of thinking. It's not about complete protein at the meal. So they would come up with methods. Oh, okay. Eat brown rice and beans. Now you have a complete protein. Or eat peanut butter with a whole wheat bread. Complete protein. So it was scaring people. They were like, oh, I got to always have a complete protein. Too much to think about. Yeah. Confusion. And then protein is kind of a little bit dissipated now. But you still have people. Now the the question is, where do you get? What's your go-to? What's your, you know, like you asked me before. I think that's the question now. Versus you can't. It's. Whereas, yeah, I think now people have come around to the fact that it's what you eat over a day. It's not not every meal needs to be sitting down and going, is this a complete protein? So now that's died down a little bit. Now the new thing is, okay, what about B12? Because as a vegan, you can't get B12. There's no, there's no bacteria on the plants and blah, blah, blah. So what are you going to do? And you know, if you don't get your B12, you know, you can have nervous system damage and then it can't be reversed. You know, that's going to be horrible. People have died. You know, like there's all this fear. Simon, I had only eaten meat for a small amount of time compared to my entire lifestyle. And I didn't know what B12 was. B12 was not a thing in my culture and the people I was around, we didn't talk about B12. It's not until in the last three years, three to five years, where B12 has become like this major thing about for vegans, like you gotta take a B12 supplement as a vegan or you'll it'll be bad. Then I started to research and find out that it's not a vegan thing. We tend to fall victim to this fear-mongering about how vegan, you need B12 and you need to get iron because those things are gonna cause you problems. But what I'm starting to learn is one, digestion. Our gut flora has changed because of a lot of the antibiotics we get. And we put in, you know, there's antibiotics in certain foods. There's antibiotics in our system. When people get ill, they go take an antibiotic because they want a fast way to knock out that dis-ease. Dis-ease, you break it down. It's just a body is not in balance. It's not in homeostasis, homeostasis. But we don't want to take the time to allow the body to get back to balance. So we want to do it quickly. So we kill the virus, but we also kill the good stuff. And so then it affects our digestive properties. So when we get B12 from a source that's natural, it's not absorbed. So therefore, we're not getting it. That's one way. The other thing is, you know, we live in a world now where everything's washed clean, cut and dry, manufactured. So you're not, the animals aren't even getting it because they're sitting in a- That's right. A lot of the animals are being supplemented. Right. So they're sitting in a, you know, uh, animal whatever, slaughterhouse waiting to die. They're not eating- grass from the ground anymore. So for meat eaters to say, you're not getting B12, you're not either, you know, because your animal doesn't still get it anymore like it used to. So that's why I say it's not a vegan thing. It's a everybody thing. 
But the first thing you do before you get so afraid of it, see what your levels are. And maybe you aren't as bad as you think you are, but somebody automatically telling you you need it puts you in a position to where you're like, ah, I got to go get, just start taking it. Because people go vegan, the first thing, where can I get my B12? Like, how do you know you're missing it that bad? Because there's an adverse effect to too much B12 too. You know, it starts with a lot of acne. And I learned that from a doctor, a vegan doctor, but she's also a proponent of saying that we should take B12, which I'm not going to tell anybody not to take it because I think it's probably dangerous not to, if your levels aren't there, you know, because just like taking vitamins, you know, we hear a lot of bad stuff mm. that vitamins can just over-exaggerate or give you too much of a vitamin you probably already have and it's cause of adverse reaction. But I think it's, I agree, it's a sensible thing to, to get your levels done. It might not be B12, it might be something else you right. need to focus on right. and something else that you can focus on in your food first. I do know with B12, though, when you test it, if anyone does want to test it, you need to also request to test a molecule called MMA mm-hmm. and also homocysteine because just testing serum B12, it's very hard to differentiate between the inactive and, and active analogs of B12 Whereas MM, MMA and homocysteine, if you're B12 deficient or low, those will be raised um, in the blood. So if you do get a blood test through your doctor, ask them to also test for MMA and homocysteine. Good yeah. stuff, Massey. You can always learn stuff. <laughs> always. What would you say to someone who's listening that is interested in eating more plants whether it's for the health or for the planet, sustainability, or for animals, but they don't, they're a little bit turned off by the whole vegan thing that we've been talking about and that label. What, what advice would you give them? Be you. You know, you don't have to live under a label. Just as much as I don't say that I am some religious organization, you know, I, I think we live in a time now where a lot more people are becoming who they truly are. And when you are who you are, you don't necessarily have to say, I'm vegan, you know, because associating yourself with the group just because, sometimes people do that because they they like to be part of something. And, but some people like to just be themselves, you know? So, and I think that's why plant-based is actually growing too, because it takes away that whole association with the negative. And then there's, you know, people are saying, well, I'm a raw, I'm this, I'm that. And there's whole, this whole battle. But if you just be who you are and be proud of who you are as a person, that will, I think, speak more than you having to be concerned with being part of a label. Because when you're comfortable in your own skin and who you are, people see that. And they actually almost, almost navigate to that person that emanates this presence of, I'm happy with who I am. I feel like, like I heard a girl say this the other day. She said, I'm perfect. And it may sound arrogant, but she is really receiving herself mm. as she is. She gets herself. Yeah. And I was like, damn, that's powerful, girl. I was like, girl, you need to stop that. You know when you're around someone like that because they, like you said, you can just feel it. They vibrate at a high level <laughs> when someone knows who they truly are right. and what their purpose is. Right. What do you think about this trend of of people jumping into a carnivore diet. No doubt you've probably seen some things online where people have all of a sudden just started eating meat 
Um, Actually, I haven't. You haven't seen it? No. Wow. There's So there's, there's a bunch of folks now out there talking about just eating meat. It's called the carnivore diet. I'm not a proponent of this, so... <laughs> I'm just letting everyone know, but there's a there's a couple of doctors. One doctor, Sean Baker, who's who's been talking about his experience doing it, and I'll give you my take on it. It's it's people posting about a lot of people post about their experience with who have suffered from sort of severe disease, a lot of autoimmune type diseases, and have jumped on to this carnivore diet, and some of them are posting benefits that they're seeing right and my take is that it's a very it's a it's it's just a very extreme elimination diet right you're removing everything else and you're just leaving animal flesh in the diet so they're sort of attributing this benefit to the meat which is more than likely from removing something else of course that for some reason, their system wasn't agreeing with right. going back to could be gut bacteria, could right. you know there could be dysbiosis. But what worries me is that there's no there's no long term data on eating like that. We have long term data that points towards leaning towards a, a, a whole food plant based diet, or at least mainly. But you know, there's some strong voices out there talking about this diet, but there's there is no long term data, and I just wonder what their what the end game is with eating more animals with a growing population. What do you think about that? You know, when you have, it's like yin and yang, you have this happening, you always have to create a negative. So you got a positive, you got to create a negative, you got a negative, you got to create a positive. That's balance. So it's kind of like, because I think the vegan movement, the lifestyle is growing so extensionally, exponentially, it's like really growing that, all right, somebody said, all right, we need to create a, an opposing way to this and that's the problem when you consider it a diet someone says all right let me create another diet so it's like now it's a fad thing so i got this one now i gotta create this one and so it's like big corporations manipulating everyone else go ahead fight you know battle it out let's watch you have fun it's like playing a game of chess and we're the actual pieces of the of the chessboard versus recognizing that I talked about this earlier. If we all had one collective mindset, not necessarily we all did the same thing, but a collective mindset will have much more power, much more unity, much more cohesion than to say, oh, I'm doing this and you doing that. So, and I think we have been pushed into this lifestyle or this idea of that we always should have an opposing, that it's like a cycle. You know, now we have this. Okay, now we got to create this. That way you can continuously say, okay, I can make money over here and I can make money over there. It all goes back to that. Because with this one, it kind of keeps mass agri- agriculture, agri- yeah, factory farming, factory farming continuing. Where this was causing it to kind of dissipate a little bit. They were seeing some impact. All right, how do we change that? And so I'm sure when you dump money into a type of um, research, you can uh, give it, wings and as you give it wings people pick it up because everybody's looking for the new thing mm. it's always a new thing you know there's people that went vegan for a while they're like yeah all right that's enough and they jump onto something else because they they aren't comfortable in themselves you know they don't know exactly who they are they have they're still to- trying to find out right 
Okay, last question. What would vegan utopia look like to you? <laughs> First of all, it would just be utopia because there would be no such thing as the word vegan. It would just be us living and doing as we should be and being one with the earth, one with the universe. Everything that we consume went back into the earth because we're like a plant. If you think about it, we get it. We need sunlight, we need water, and we need nutrients from the earth, and we can live, right? So if we're all doing that, it's like the earth is just will just flourish because we're giving and receiving, and giving and receiving just continues, just continues. Everything's habitating this exactly the way it's supposed to be. That's how I see it, you know, where we're all just we're cohesive. You know, it's not about who has this type of hierarchy. This person is not enough, so I can't talk to that person. Because we live in a time now where we almost base each other's, our relationships on what can you do for me versus us working together. You know what I mean? True connection. Yeah. Beautifully put. I think that's a a nice way to end this podcast. I like that. So thank you very much, Tori, for coming on the show. Thank you very much. And no doubt I'll have you on again in the future. Maybe next time in the United States or Jamaica. Hey, I like that. I like that. I like that. We need to actually do more together as well, like outside of this, man. Like For sure. Know, when we have a panel, you know, we'd love to have you as part of our panel. Absolutely, like, man. You know, I think one thing that, you know, in order to get this movement to grow to a point of where it just is, I think people need to see people working together and not as a, all right, what can you do for me? You know, because that's what it turns out. And I need to thank you just for everything that you're doing for for the whole community, even out beyond the community. The number of people who have messaged me, you know, over the years, sending your profile, have you seen this guy? Have a look what he's doing. Like you're doing some amazing work and you are inspiring people all around the world. So thank you very much. That's my pleasure. Same to you, brother. I mean, the one thing I think that I um, find that, if we could change that is there seems to be like a lot of competition and about who's the longest vegan, you know, that doesn't matter. I mean, I think it doesn't matter. I know it helps with, I don't even know if it does what people are saying, well, this person ate meat for this long. So they're not really a good um, person to use as a, as an example, you know, well, of like muscle mass, right. right all yeah. that stuff. So I think it's, it doesn't matter. It should be just about, all right, this person just made that lifestyle switch and they're able to do the same thing that we're doing before, if not better, you know? So, but yeah, let's go get some food. Let's do it, man. All right, guys. I really hope you enjoyed that episode with Tori Washington as much as I did. If you did and have feedback or comments, please share them on social media. I'm really loving the video reviews that many of you are uploading to your to your stories, to your Instagram stories, talking about your favorite parts of the episode. So please keep that up. Tori and I would absolutely love to hear from you. Friends, that's enough from me. I'll see you in the next episode.